0: Welcome to a podcast from a live church in Newark. We believe that the gospel changes lives, so we hope you're ready to hear from God, be challenged, and inspired. Here's our speaker for today. Good morning. I'm excited. We are carrying on with our series on being all in, as we've seen. And Samantha kicked us off a few weeks ago, unpacking it, unpacking what it means to be all in, to partner with what God does and what the church is doing. And then uh, we had Mark Hutton. He shared about what it means when we say we are attenders, we turn up, we get involved in the church. Last week we had Howard. He was talking about we are connected. So, how we do life together, how we encourage one another, share our struggles with one another. Um, and so this week, as has already been mentioned, we are talking about what does it mean when we say we are givers? Um, but more specifically, we're saying, what does it mean when we say we are tithers? Now, it was about a month ago where Samantha messaged me and she said, would you be able to speak on this state?" And I was like, yeah, sure, that's not a problem. What's my topic? And she messaged back, tithing. Now, if you've been in the church a while, you're probably thinking, they've given him a tough one there. <laughs> What's the most difficult and awkward topic we can give the Bible college student? Um, but when I saw this, I generally was like, yes. I can't think of a topic I'd rather preach on in this series because I'm really passionate about tithing. I'm really passionate about the, uh, the practice and the principle of tithing. And if you're not familiar with the concept of tithing, it's just a simple idea that we give 10% of what we have, of all of our earnings to God. Now this can put some people on edge because uh, we're talking about money and money's one of those difficult conversations that can get people a little bit tight. But it's just one of the reasons why I think it's good to talk about it because we're a family here. We work through those difficult topics. Now there's uh, plenty of people that will kind of argue that tithing isn't really important to us anymore. It's one of them Old Testament things And that because we're under grace now, we're not under law, it's not relevant. And if you're not familiar with that phrase, under grace, not law, it's this idea in the Christian faith that because Jesus died for us and was resurrected, we're no longer kind of obliged to follow laws, we're no longer controlled by rules and regulations, but we're controlled by a relationship with God that we're engaging in relationship with him. And I think there's some truth to that. That we're not bound by this rule to tithe. We're not all kind of, there's no one kind of whipping us and getting us into line. God's not going, if you don't tithe, then I'm not going to save you. There's no rule or regulation there. But if we look at the Old Testament, there's lots of laws that we still follow because we recognize there's a principle there that still benefits our lives. So, for example, if I move this mat, is this going to help? Is it because I've put it in an awkward position? I don't know if my pocket's any better. Um, So, for example, we accept the the law, do not lie. And it's not because we're bound by it as Christians, but it's because we recognise there's a principle there that benefits our lives. Our lives are happier and healthier when we're open and honest with one another. It allows trust to kind of grow and develop in our relationships. And so... I believe it's the same with the tithe that we're not bound by the tithe, we're not uh, we're not kind of required, shall we say, to tithe. But there's a principle there that I believe, as we follow, it will grow us and stretch us in our relationship with God. And so, my plan for this morning is I'm going to start off and I'm going to go through the different times the Bible mentions the tithe. And so, you've got all of the facts at your disposal. And then I'm going to talk about why I think the tithe is important. And then we're going to end with, just in general, why giving and why tithing kind of changes us and how we can grow by contributing and getting involved in this. Does that sound good to you? That is the right answer. So, before we get into what the Bible says about tithing, I thought it would be good to go through a very quick overview of the story of the Bible. Because when we have this idea of the, the story of the Bible, we can see how tithing fits into it. And so we start off in Genesis, and we, we, as many of us know, God created the earth, and he created a garden called the Garden of Eden, and then he created humans, and he put humans in the garden. And the goal of creating humans was to have relationships with them. He wanted to, to journey with them, to teach them and guide them and help them grow in all that he'd designed them to be. But unfortunately, those humans, Adam and Eve, chose to do life outside of that relationship with God. And so they were asked, well... They were forced to leave the Garden of Eden, And from there we see humanity begin to spiral downwards. We see the the wickedness and the evil and the selfishness that's in each of our hearts come to the fore, the, the dark side of humanity. And over the course of the first few chapters of Genesis, things just start getting really bad. And so what God does is he eventually comes to a point where he's like, I'm going to take humanity and put it to one side for a moment. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick one man, one family, that's going to eventually become an entire nation. And I'm going to teach that man, that family, how to do relationship with me. With the idea being that they, as they learn to do relationship with me, eventually they will begin to teach others to do relationship with me. And it, eventually the whole earth will be brought back in to relationship. So that's what he did. He chose a man called Abraham. And started doing kind of life with Abraham and lead him into this relationship. And then Abraham had a son called Isaac, who had a son called Jacob. And then Jacob had 12 sons who would eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel. And so we fast forward about 400 years, roughly. These 12 sons have had children, who've had children, who've had families, blah, 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 blah. And we've now got the nation of Israel. And they are uh, trapped in Egypt. They are servants. They are kind of slaves, whatever you want to call them. And uh, God comes to these, these people and go, reminds them, look, I am your God, you are my people. We're to have relationship with one another. And so he leads them out of Egypt and then he gives them the law. And the law is basically a, a, a load of rules, a load of guidelines on this is how you do relationship with God. This is how you live so that this relationship can flourish. And the people are like, yeah, this is great, we love it, let's do it. And kind of time passes, and God gives them their own land. But once again, we just see things begin to spiral. Over the course of the next 1,500 years, we see the Israelites first led by judges, by tribal leaders, then by kings. And then the kings end up causing problems, and so there's a split in the nation. And so then we have two nations. We have the northern nation of Israel, the southern nation of Judah... And then what happens is that bigger nations come and they attack both the nations of Israel and Judah and take them off into captivity, and so they are now slaves in a foreign nation. And then eventually the uh, tribe of Judah is allowed to return home and begin to rebuild things. And all the time, all the way through this entire period, we see the same pattern over and over again. God calls his people into relationship with them, with, yeah, with him. And they go, yeah, we're great, we love it. But before long, that selfishness, that wickedness, that evil in their heart begins to take place. They ignore the rules and regulations, and so the relationship becomes broken. They're no longer under the protection of God, and so then bad things begin to happen to them. And so they come back to God and say, God, God, we're sorry, we want relationship with you. And so God brings them back into relationship, but then before long, the wickedness, the evil, the selfishness comes back. And we just see this cycle over and over again. And so then we come near into the end of our Old Testament and we get a series of prophets. These are men of God that are speaking on behalf of God. And a particular theme starts to come up. This idea of kind of addressing the heart of each one of us, pointing out, hey, there is wickedness and evil in your heart. And it's stopping you from having this relationship with God. And, uh, and then they start to look forward to the future. And they say one day there'll come a time where God will renew and give us new hearts that aren't wicked, that aren't evil, that aren't selfish. And then in that time, he will write his law on our hearts. And what this means is that we will no longer be managed, no longer be maintained by these external rules that we have to live up to, but there'll be an inner kind of desire and hunger to live right. And that comes to the end of our Old Testament. Fast forward to the New Testament we have Jesus. He's on the scene, and his whole teaching is all about the heart. What's the state of your heart like? What does it look like on the inside? Not, what does the outside matter? That's not important. What does it look like on the inside? He then dies and is resurrected, and in his death, he breaks the power of this wickedness and evil and selfishness that's in our hearts. He then sends his Holy Spirit, which then comes, lives in our hearts, and he is the law written on our hearts. He's the thing that encourages and inspires us and gives that motivation to live right. We then see the, the church planted and begin to grow. We get a few letters from key church leaders that say, look, this is how to do relationship with God, right? And then we end with revelation, which is once again, looking forward to the future, to a time where all of that wickedness and evil will be done away with and all of creation will once again be in relationship with God, So that's your quick five-minute boom summary of the story of the Bible. We got there. So how does tithing fit into this story? Well, it's, what's interesting is tithing, the first time we see tithing, isn't when the law is introduced. Tithing actually appears before that. So when we see Abraham, the very first man that God kind of, after the, the fall, called back into relationship with him... We see kind of Abraham getting on with life. He's kind of fighting a few battles because he's got a lot, because God's blessed him and people want what he's got. And so he's doing really well for himself. And uh, he then encounters this priest of God called Melchizedek. And Abraham decides to honor God by giving this priest and giving to God 10% of all he has. And so well before we've got the law introduced, well before there's a regulation and a rule that says you must give 10%, Abraham sees a value in giving a portion of what he has, specifically a tenth, to God, to honor God with. In the same way, his grandson, Jacob, makes a similar kind of arrangement with God. He says, God, if you promise to be with me always, if you promise never to leave me through the highs and through the lows, I will give you 10% of everything that I have. And so we see right at the beginning people that recognize there's a value in honoring God with a portion of what we have. And so then the law does come in, and then the tithe becomes a rule. This is what you are expected to do. As an Israelite, you are to give 10% of what you have, of everything that you have, to God. And it appears kind of a couple of different times in the laws, but basically this kind of money that was collected or resources and, and grain and cattle and everything that was kind of dedicated to God was split fairly evenly between those that were poor and needy and the the priests that were managing the temple so that they could be supported, that they could dedicate themselves to managing the temple, running the temple, so that the Israelites could continue in their relationship with God. And then the next time that it appears is in this period of the prophets. Remember these guys that were talking about the nature of the heart? And so we read right at the very end of our Old Testament in the book of Malachi, Malachi 3, and Malachi starts to challenge the people of God and saying, look, You've been robbing God. You've been stealing him because you've been withholding the tithe. And the point he's trying to make is, it's not a money issue. It's not like God needs your money. But the fact that you've been withholding this tithe from God is a demonstration of this wickedness, this evil, this selfishness in your heart. You're focused on yourselves when you could be focused on God. So that's the Old Testament. We then come to the New Testament. And the tithe isn't really mentioned much. Which is one of the key reasons why a lot of people are like, well, it's not important to us. That's Old Testament stuff. It's not New Testament stuff. But there are two key times that I feel like are are relevant to the tithe. The first is with Jesus. He's kind of engaging with the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And they've corrupted the tithe. They've basically manipulated the tithe to try and store up as much resources they can for themselves. And so Jesus challenges them and said, you should be doing the tithe, but you should be doing it Right. It shouldn't be about you. It shouldn't be about your wealth. It should be about honoring God. And then a bit, a little bit later in the New Testament, we get a writing from Paul, one of the, the key leaders in the early church, to a, a church in a place called Corinth. And so it says in 1 Corinthians 16, where are we? 1 Corinthians 16, boom. On the first day of every week, each one of you, should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Now, he doesn't mention the tithe here. It's not mentioned by name, but he's he's expressing this principle that was behind the tithe. Set aside a portion of your money for the work that God's doing for the work of the church on a kind of regular basis. And so these are the kind of the key moments that the tithe is mentioned throughout the Bible. There might be more. There'll be someone that'll be like, oh, you missed this one. But these are the, the main kind of beats, if you will. So then why, is, why do I think the tithe is important to us today? What do we get from doing the tithe, from giving our tithe? Because we talk a lot about giving in the church. We talk a lot about generosity. We often use the, the, the passage from Proverbs that the world of the generous gets larger and larger. We talk a lot about generosity, and that's good. I'm not dissing that at all. Generosity and giving is a key part of how we live. But I think what tithing gives us, more than just giving in general, is some rhythms, some habits, some structure to our giving. It gives us disciplines. And I think, unfortunately, in the church, not this church specifically, but in the church in general, disciplines and habits have become like a bit of a dirty word. Because they're restrictive, when you kind of form a habit, you're kind of restricting yourself to a particular way of doing things. And we don't like to be restrictive, we like to be free, we're we're kind of... I want to be sensitive, but a lot of the language that's used around this is often like, we just want to be free as the spirit leads. And I'm not knocking the spirit, I think the spirit should lead. But we can sometimes use the spirit as an excuse to kind of not have any structures... In our lives, and structures and habits are an essential part of the Christian walk. I, I love teaching, I love teaching people God's Word. It's one of the reasons I, I love doing this. But what I've recognized is I can give people some brilliant head knowledge, but that doesn't change their lives. Because we can know something in our head, but not really act on it in our heart. A great example of this is how many people have been in that place where they know that that second slice of cake isn't going to help them. <laughs> but they can't quite help sticking it in their face, anyone? Anyway, anyone else been there? No, no, no. (laughs) So we can have head knowledge, we can know things, but that doesn't necessarily affect our heart. It's our habits that train our hearts. It's our habits and these restrictions that teach us how to live a particular way. And I believe this is what tithing does. Uh, an example that I often use of the benefits of habits is, is uh, wanting to learn guitar. So, say you've got two people that want to learn guitar, person A and person B, and person A is very much like, "I don't want any restrictions. I want to be able to enjoy this. This is, I just want to go with it and f- go with the flow." And so, they decide to only play guitar when they want to, right? They just want it to be something that they really enjoy, and so uh, they decide to only play when they feel like playing. And also, they're not going to bother with any of the chords and your arpeggios and your scales or any of that. They're just going to focus on learning the songs that they really want to learn. And then you've got person B, and they set aside time, right? Every day, I'm going to spend 20 minutes practicing. I'm going to focus on my scales. I'm going to focus on my chords. I'm going to really kind of drill down and get these things good. And so you've got these two separate people. And after a couple of weeks, you've got person A, and they've kind of taken to it pretty quickly because there's that initial motivation, yeah, I want to learn guitar. And so there's already about three or four songs that they can play, and they're really enjoying it, they're loving it. Person B, after a couple of weeks, has got to that point where like, oh, I've got to practice again. Like, it's getting a bit of a drag. He's not got a huge amount to show for it because he's been focusing on just like your scales and stuff. So he's not got any songs that he can play. And so to begin with, it looks like person A's done it right. That's how we should do it. Just just enjoy it. Just go with the flow. But let's go forward a few months. Because after a first few months, like person A, they're beginning to slack off, right? Life's busy. We have lots of things going for our attention. And so the guitar starts to get a little bit dusty in the corner. They might pick it up occasionally. But there's not a huge motivation, desire, drive to pick it up. Person B, however, because they've been sticking to it, they've been working on them habits they're really starting to get good at playing the guitar. They've really nailed the the, the chord progressions and the scales. They really know what they're doing. And then fast forward a few more months, maybe even a year, and what we find is that person B has really fallen in love with playing in the guitar. Playing the guitar because it's it's something that's become part of his life. He's got really good at it. He knows how it all works. He can understand it. He can enjoy really kind of digging into it and, and playing it well. And because it's become just a regular part of his life, he's really kind of got a deep appreciation for playing the guitar that the person they never really was able to obtain. And this is the power of habits, is that not only do they give us that strategy that forces us to, and the structure and the rhythms that force us to grow and, and stretch and develop in a way that just playing any old way wouldn't do, but also they give us a deeper love and appreciation for these things because they become part of who we are. And this is the... The power, I believe, that the tithe has. That, um, if, if there are people here that are just kind of giving as and when they feel I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't want to diminish that, that's great, and we honour you for that. But the tithe kind of forces us to, to stretch ourselves, because if we're just kind of giving as and when, when money's coming in, it's it's easy, it's just like, yeah, here's some money, great stuff, feel really good about myself. But then when money's tight, it's like, I don't know if I can give anything this month. I'll just give a little bit. And we draw, draw back to what's comfortable. But you can't do that with the type. You've said, I'm going to give 10% of my, my income. And so on the good months, it's great. But on the difficult months, when your car's broken down and the dishwasher's broken and everything, all the bills are coming in at once, it's like, oh, God, I don't know if I can, I can get by this month. And yet there's there's still a a commitment of like, well, I've I've committed this stuff to you. And so I'm going to give this 10% to you. And I'm going to trust that you are going to provide the rest for me. It forces you to stretch in that way. That you just wouldn't normally if you were just kind of giving as and when you feel. Now, there may be some here that are like, well, that's great. But I I give regularly, but I don't give 10%. Why does it have to be 10%? And my response to that is, well, it doesn't. This isn't a law. We've already clarified this. This is a principle. And so if you think, the, if you feel that 5% or 2% works better for you, but it still has that principle of regular giving and, and stretching you when it's, things are difficult, that's great. The reason I go with 10% is just because we see 10% a lot in the Bible. It's what Christians have done for, for 2,000 years. It's what the The Israelites had done for many years before that and Abraham and Jacob well before the law was even introduced. So I really like the ten percent. But if you prefer five percent or two percent or even twenty percent, brilliant. It's just about getting this practice, this principle of developing and stretching ourselves. Which then brings us to well, what is the actual benefit of doing this? What what is it that we're actually learning? Because I feel like it's good to have that ahead of us. If we're going to have to be disciplined and, uh, and kind of structured and in our habits, having where we're going is a great motivator. I know when I go to the gym, having an idea of this is what I'm working towards is great for the weeks where it's like, oh, I don't feel any different. And so I'm going to go through just four quick points on why I think both tithing and giving, just in general, how it affects us, how it transforms our lives. And we're drawing from a passage in Deuteronomy 15, which is kind of this part during the law where they're given all the different laws. And it's talking about this idea of generosity. How do we care for those that maybe don't have as much as we do? And so the first point is this. We are givers when we deal with a selfish heart. It says in verse seven, if anyone is poor among you, fellow, your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land of the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. See, when we give, it naturally takes our eyes off ourselves because we're focusing on someone else. And so what that does is that begins to deal with that selfishness that we were talking about before. That we're beginning to train ourselves not to focus on the selfishness but focus on other people. How can we help other people? And right across alive in all of our different locations, we're blessed to be part of various different things and our various different communities that are blessing people. So here in, in Newark, we've got things like toddling that support young parents. We've got butterflies. That support kind of women that are coming in there are, and right across the life, there's various different things that are just really blessing and helping and supporting others. And so, when we give, when we uh, kind of tithe or whatever you give, we get to participate in this, and we get to focus our eyes on other people, not focusing on ourselves, but focusing on others. Point two is this: when we are givers. We are givers when we deal with a grudging heart. Now, the passage we're about to look at needs a little bit of explaining. Because in the ancient Israelite time, they didn't have a welfare system, right? You couldn't go to the government or to the council and get your benefits. Or if you were struggling, there were no kind of food banks. And so the system they had in place was that if you were struggling financially, you could sell yourself into service to someone else. Now, when we hear that, we're like, ooh, that doesn't sound... Great, but it's, it's better than it sounds. So what would happen is, say I'm struggling financially, I would go to Ollie, Ollie, I want to sell myself into your service. And so what w- Ollie would do is he would then uh, kind of put a, a wage aside for me, and he would take me into his house, he'd put a roof over my head, he'd feed me, but then I would then work for Ollie. I would be completely his. He, he could tell me what to do, and I would have to do it. And what would happen is that every seven years all of the people that have sold themselves into this kind of servitude would then be free. So you're only in it for at most seven years. But what was happening is that people were kind of struggling financially at kind of week, a year, say five or six. And so again, I'm struggling. And so I go to Wally, Wally, I I need to sell myself into service to you. And Wally's thinking, well, I've only got one or two years left of this. In two years, I'm going to have to set him free. And that's no good for me. I'm putting a roof over his head. I'm feeding him. And all I'm getting is... It's two years' work. And so the passage that we're about to read is God kind of challenging that behavior and going, look, that's not important. It's not about you. It's about them. And so it says in verse 9, Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The, seventh year, of the year of cancelling debts is near, so that you do not show ill will towards the needy among your fellow Israelites, and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you. And you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them, and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. And so, this idea of grudging, I believe, uh, is is kind of ingrained in how we view kind of I don't know giving and work and, and economy and all this stuff. So we often view it as a zero sum issue. That if if Ollie is in need and I give him a little bit of my resource, that means I've got less resource. And so the issue is I need to make sure I've got enough resources for me first before I can think about giving Ollie anything. But the kingdom of God doesn't work like that. We're connected to a God of abundant resources. And so he recognizes that when we stand in faith and go, look, I'm not sure if I've got enough for myself, but I'm going to make sure that Ollie's needs are met. God moves in. And goes i'm now going to make sure that your needs are met a passage that i've been kind of looking into a lot recently is the, the classic story of the feeding of the 5000 where you've got um, jesus teaching the people on the mount and there's like thousands of people around and the disciples come jesus we need to send these people away because they're going to start getting hungry and we've got like what are we going to do and jesus is like well feed them and they're like are you mad There's 5,000 of them. Where are we going to get enough money for that? And so Jesus sits them all down, finds out how much food they've got, a few loaves, a few fish. He prays over it, he breaks it, and then begins to pass it out. And as he passes it out, it begins to multiply so that everyone's needs are met. Everyone can eat as much as they need to, and they've got stuff left over. And what strikes me about this story is that when the disciples come, Jesus, what do we do? He's like, "Just, just feed them. Just do it, and I don't believe. As I read this, I don't believe like he's being awkward. I don't think he's trying to be kind of like facetious or 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 make a point. I think he's genuinely believing. Well, why don't you just feed him this understanding that again we are connected to a God of abundant resources. That if there's a genuine need, we can trust that God is going to provide and help and meet that need. And it's really it's been a real challenge. uh, for me because it requires a level of, of trust and this is, this is for me one of the reasons I love the tithe so much is because it forces that trust in those difficult times when you're like I actually don't think I've got enough to make men's meet, but I'm still going to trust God that he will provide for me even though I'm giving what is needed resource it develops just a, such a trust and a faith in God that then God then pours out blessing on that I've mentioned in in messages before that at my old church, I was in desperate need of a car. I'd been, like, with my work, I needed to kind of go to different churches and different schools, and getting there by public transport was a nightmare. And so at the time, I was tithing, and that was money that I could be putting aside for a car. And part of me could have very easily justified, well, God, I need a car to do the work you've called me to. So I'm going to take this money that I would have given to the church, but I'm going to put it into getting a car so I can continue serving the church. But in that moment, I was like, no, I'm going to trust you, God. I don't know how it can work. The math doesn't add up. I'm going to give you this money, and I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to order, I'm going to book my driving lessons, and I'm going to trust that somehow you're going to provide for a car. And lo and behold, two days before I booked my driving lessons, someone provided me with my little Ford Ka. Now, what we're not saying is if you just give all of your resources away, God's going to bless you tenfold. You're going to be rich. It's going to be incredible. We're not saying that at all. But this principle where if you are not grudging towards other people, not focused on yourself and protecting yourself, but going, look, I'm going to try and make sure that these people's needs are met and trust that God will provide for me, it just develops something in our heart. And it stretches and it grows us and it's a... an incredible testimony to, to other people so we can declare how God has provided for ourselves. Which brings us to point three. We are givers as we develop a generous heart. Pastor starts in verse 12. If any of your people, Hebrew men or women, sell themselves to you and serve you six years, in the seventh year you must let them go free. And when you release them, do not send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally from your flock, your freshing floor and your wine press. Give to the Lord. give to them as the Lord has blessed you. And this is where it gets really exciting, because we've moved from focusing on ourselves, from that selfishness to looking at others. We're now freed up from the need to provide for ourselves, because we can trust that God is, is providing us. And this frees us up to then begin to start being abundantly generous to those around us. That when we see meet needs in the communities and in the friends and families that are around us, that we can come to them and, and provide them with things. We can uh, bring a meal to those that are, are struggling. We can pay for someone's drink or even pay for, for a family to go on holiday. That there's an abundance that comes out of, I can give this to you because I know that God's going to provide and there are no strings attached. And this is counter-cultural because this isn't how the world works. The world is mostly focused on, I need to provide for myself first. I need to make sure that I'm okay. And it's like, once I've got sorted, then I can look at sorting you. And there's, even when people are kind of generous, when people give gifts, there's always a little bit of a sense of, right, what's this going to cost me though? What am I going to have to give in return? We used to do lots of uh, fairs back home, lots of kind of little kind of like marts and stuff. And, and we do them completely free, but every single time people are like, "What? Well, how much is this going to cost me? And we're like, well, no, it's free. And they're like, what do you mean? Like, it genuinely, for a lot of people, this idea of completely no strings attached blows their minds. And as we get to participate in this abundant generosity, as we get to bless those that are around us, it begins to change their lives. As they get to see the abundant generosity that we're displaying, what they're doing is they're getting a taste of the abundant generosity that God's willing to offer us. That as we've been blessed by him, as we've kind of reached salvation and and all of the stuff that has come from that, and we begin just to give that out in the generosity in our day-to-day lives, people get a taste of that and people want more of it. They're hungry for it. And so this is the part where we really can impact those around us. We can impact Newark for the good news for the gospel when we start to practice this love that we have for them in a real tangible way. And so we, gi- we are givers as we develop a generous heart. Finally, we are givers as we de- develop a grateful heart. The passage comes on to saying, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. And really, the ultimate goal of giving is to remind us of everything that God has given us first and to produce gratitude in our hearts. If you want to put the next slide up, Ricky, there's like four stages of kind of generosity and giving that we like to try and move people through. And so the first stage is this sense that everything is mine, that my job is mine, my house is mine, my car, my family is all mine, I've worked for it, I've earned it, it's mine. And that's stage one. And so stage two would be a kind of recognition that actually I want to kind of have a... I want to bless others. I want to kind of... I've got enough, so I'm going to give a little bit to other people. So this might be putting a few kind of coins in the, the hat of a homeless person. Maybe this is giving some money to charity. There's a beginning to understand that generosity and, and giving is a, a good thing. We then come to an understanding of the tithe, that this this is mine, but I want to... I want to honour God with 10% of it. I want to give God 10% of it. And this is good, but what this kind of creates is like an almost kind of tax man mentality or rent mentality. God's letting me live on the earth, so I need to give him his, his cut, And then I can carry on doing my thing. And the point we want to eventually bring people to is this realisation the whole pie is his. Everything that, he, that is yours is actually being given to you by God. My job is a blessing from God. My house is a blessing from God. My wife, my kids, my, my car, all of this has been given to me by God. And so in the tithe, I'm honouring God for that. I'm thanking God by giving a small portion of that back. It's producing this gratitude, this awareness of God. I am so grateful for everything you've given me that I will now want to bless you and I want to bless others back. And really, this is the, the heart behind giving. The gratitude and, 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 the, and dealing with the selfishness, dealing with the, the grudging and producing hearts of generosity, all of this stuff, it, it positions us to have a deeper and closer relationship with God. If you go back to the, the summary of the Bible that I gave you, the whole goal of that thing was leading people back into relationship of God. And so when we encourage people to give, when we encourage people to tithe, really what we're wanting for you is to help you position your hearts so that you can have a closer, more intimate relationship with God. Because as much as we we are super grateful when you give, as much as we are super grateful when you tithe, when you participate with us in all the great things that we do, the reality is, the honest reality is, God doesn't need your money. He's a God of abundant resources. The whole earth and everything that is in it belongs to him. He doesn't need your money. If not a single person, and hear me well here, if not a single person (laughs) gave a single penny from here to the end of this church, God would still provide. God would still see his will done. And so when we're asking you to give, when we're asking you to tithe, it's not to meet our needs. It's because we want to see you grow and develop in your relationship with God. That's the heart of it. And we want you to hear that heart. And so the band are, are going to come back up and the host team are going to get in position. And so we're now, now that we have a better understanding of this thing, we're now going to come into this time of worship where we're offering God uh, whatever is on our heart. And as I was praying into this, I, I want to be sensitive because I don't want anyone to feel bullied or pressured into giving. But at the same time, I'm also aware that we're all human. And so if we put it off, Life is busy, and by next week we've completely forgotten it. That's, that's what it's like for me. And so I want to encourage you, if you're in a position where you've been hearing, and you're like, I like some of this stuff, but I need to pray into it more, I'm not ready to up my giving or start giving or start tithing or any of that, that's fine. And so my encouragement would be to you to go home to pray about it, but then set a date, maybe even next Sunday, where you say, by that time, I'm going to have decided on this issue. But then there may be some here that are have been listening and you're like actually no this is something i need to plug in with this is something i need to get on board with i don't need to pray about it god's knocking on my heart i need this and so in a bit the the the, the kind of bowls are going to be coming around we've also put a number of these uh, standing orders kind of cards on your chairs this makes life a lot easier i'm a i'm hopelessly forgetful and so if i was actually actively responsible for remembering to pay my tithe i'm going to be honest it wouldn't happen and so if you want to set up a standing order, so you go, right, I'm going to commit to 10% or 5% or 2%, whatever it is, you can fill out. Uh, one section is for you to remind you because you have to do the, the setting up of the bank's this details. And the other half is for a live, so they, they know that that money is going to come in. And so I want you to encourage you to, to fill that out uh, and then give the relevant section to uh, the Connect Desk at the end. And if you have any questions or anything, the Connect Desk will be able to help you. And as usual, you'll have sheets on your, envelopes on your chairs for those that want to pay by card and uh, gift aid boxes to tick. We're going to let the guys come forward. And this is a time of real worship. It genuinely is. This is part of our worship with God. And so whether you're giving a regular amount or whatever it is, keep these things in your mind. God, help me to deal with the selfishness in my heart. Help me to focus my eyes on others. Help me not to be grudging, but trust that you're going to provide for my needs. Help me to produce this generosity in my heart so that I can bless others. And Lord, I am thankful for all that you've done. So the guys are going to bring the bowls and then I'll round up. That's all from us today. Thanks for listening. We pray you have a great day.